0: you are locked on hawks your daily atlanta hawks podcast part of the locked on podcast network
1: your team every day
0: hello friends welcome to episode 849 of the locked on hawks podcast i am your host brad roland Coming to you live on a Monday evening into Tuesday morning. And today's episode will feature a discussion that I had about Onyekia Kongwu, the USC big man who's one of the best prospects in the 2020 NBA draft. Brian Schroeder and I, have been talking about prospects the last uh, week or so. We've already talked about LaMelo Ball, Anthony Edwards, James Wiseman, and Alexi Pokashevsky along the way, and now we'll be sort of transitioning beginning today into the guys who are most often mocked to Atlanta at number six overall. And uh, o- o- Kongwu is not always in that range, but certainly has been in the past. And then we'll, of course, get into Obi Toppin and Killian Hayes, Danny Evdia, Devin Vassell, Isaac Koro, Tyrese Halliburton, etc. All of that is still to come, but today is Okongwu. Before we get to that, though, I uh, do want to throw a a segment here at the top with regard to something that came out today that I was asked about a couple different times. Bobby Marks of ESPN released predictions for the starting salary for each and every free agent available. I would say every caveat applies here. But um, it's pretty interesting to uh, see all in one place. So shout out to Bobby for all the work there, by the way. It's an ESPN insider piece, so I'm not, not going to give the entire thing away, but we'll talk about most of the guys that are relevant to the Hawks. Also, Marks acknowledged in the piece that it's basically impossible to do this even in a normal year because uh, there's obviously so much going on in projecting every single salary, and then you throw in the pandemic and the uncertainty with the cap, et cetera. This is a very difficult exercise. Also, these are projections based on a multi-year deal for each player, so there's some weirdness there. as Some guys might sign for, a shorter, for shorter years and more money, et cetera. Bobby talks about that in the article, and again, I would definitely recommend reading the piece itself. Last thing, these are in a vacuum, so... There'll be, I I would imagine, some guys who sign with their own teams for a little bit more. They want to stick around. There'll be some hometown discounts associated as well, potentially. So keep that all in mind as well. I want to start with the Hawks free agents, the guys who were on the team at the end of last season. And I'll pass along where they were projected in terms of their ranges. And by the way, there was there were salary ranges for all of these, not just a a one a one number figure for all of these. Um, Jeff Teague is projected to get six to eight million dollars. DeAndre Bembry two to four million dollars, and then Travion Graham, Damian Jones, and Scalabissier all projected to get the minimum when free agency begins. No huge surprises. I would say that if anything, Teague might get less than that. Um, I'm not sure what his market's going to be. I think he is still regarded in a pretty decent light by NBA teams, but still, there are not that many available point guard jobs. I think Jeff is probably going to be a backup somewhere, and that's a lot of money for a backup point guard. We'll see where he lands. It wouldn't surprise me if he got that much money, but he might be a little bit on that, uh, probably the next tier down potentially. Also, I think Bembry is most likely to get the minimum, honestly. At one point in time, I was um, asked if Bembry would be in the league next year, and I, I said kind of firmly yes. It, would, it wouldn't stun me if he wasn't, but I think he's going to get a contract somewhere. With that said, I think it's pretty unlikely that he gets more than the minimum. It wouldn't like make me fall over, but pr- as a projection, that seems a little bit rosy to me. There are guys in the minimum tier on Bobby's list, like Sterling Brown or Damian Dotson, that I would rather have than Bembry. I think that they're more likely to get more than the minimum than Bembry is, but that's just sort of a nitpicking thing, because his, min- his minimum is not that much money, honestly, so it's not that much different with regard to uh, the projected range there. Also, I think it's conceivable that Scalp gets a little bit more than the minimum, just because of there could be multiple teams involved there. He's still pretty young, high-pedigree guy. I think he'd probably sign for the minimum, most likely, but it could be a little bit more than that. That would not stun me in any way, any way shape, or form. Also, Travion Graham's minimum, by the way, is not as low as the rookie minimum would be, so keep that in mind. It's a little bit more money for a guy like that who's been around the league for a little while, so keep that. But those are all the guys that were sort of the Hawks' incumbents, and that's where they were projected. There are some other names that I want to reference that I have talked about at various moments with regards to the Hawks. I'll run through this as quickly as I possibly can. Uh, Davis Bertans was projected from twelve to fourteen million dollars. Um, I think i will get more than that. Pretty clearly, honestly, I think it's possible the Wizards uh, are able to squeeze him a little bit if the market is not materialized, But I would, I would take the over on that. Jeremy Grant, same range, twelve to fourteen million. I think it's the same as Broughtons. I would probably bet the over if you, if you made me choose. But I think Grant um, is more likely to get that range than Bertan's is. I would actually take the over on Broughtons more um, more vigorously. I would say, Dario Saric has been a Hawks potential target from the Suns. Uh, he's he's projected for eight to ten million dollars. Actually, would guess less than that from Phoenix. Paul Millsap six to eight million. That sounds about right. But Paul might. I have no idea what Paul's market's going to be. Honestly, given his age and the fact that he might want to stay in Denver, etc. Uh, Danilo Garnari, uh, 14 16 million. I'm not really sure where that's, where that's coming from, but he's probably worth that, so there you go on that. A um, couple of cheap names that I will keep an eye on as the Hawks. Mo Harkless four to six million. That's a good value for him. Derek Jones Jr. four to six million. I would bet on him getting more than that from someone. And honestly, if I'm the Hawks, I definitely would give him that much money on a multi-year deal. Uh, Glenn Robinson III two to four million. I would take more than that for sure on him. He's a rotation caliber small forward who can shoot a little bit. Justin Holiday four to six million. That's probably a little bit too low. I think Holland might sign for the for the taxpayer MLE, which is like 5.7 million to start with on a good team. But if he signs for some if he signs for more than that, I, I would not be surprised at all. A uh, DeAnthony Melton, 4 to 6 million is his projection. That's way too low in my view. I think maybe he just doesn't have a market because he's restricted and all that stuff, but I think Memphis matches like twice that much money, maybe even more. So Melton's range is pretty wide. I would definitely have projected him for higher than Bobby did in this instance. Um, now to the top guys, at least most of the top guys we haven't already talked about. Um, KCP out of the Lakers, projected for 12 to 14 million. That's about right for him, I think, maybe a little bit more than that if he ends up stick, sticking around in Los Angeles. Both Joe Harris and Bogdan Bogdanovic projected for $14-16 million. dollars. That's about right for both those guys. Evan Fournier, the same range, although it's worth noting that Fournier has a player option for more than that, but there's at least a world in which he opts out and looks for more security in the long term, and he would be somewhere in that salary range, I think. Fred VanVleet 18 to 20 million. He's a guy that is not like the perfect fit for the Hawks, but someone who I've at least been asked about before with regard to VanVleet. Um other than that, it's all cheaper guards that we can talk about now quickly. Chris Dunn, 6 to 8 million is his projection. That seems about right to me, but I actually would be surprised if he got more than DeAnthony Milton in the real world. And I think uh Dunn his status as a restricted agent is kind of nominal because it's a pretty high qualifying offer so I'm not sure if the Bulls are going to offer him that or not. It's a weird one in a lot of ways. DJ Augustine is projected for $4 to $6 million. That's actually less than Jeff Teague, which stunned me, to be honest with you. I mean, the difference is not huge between those guys. I, I think, though, based on what I've heard around the market and the way that those guys have been playing in the most recent past, I think Augustine is better than Teague and also would probably command more just because of his versatility and his jump shot, etc. We'll see how that goes there. Um, you know, I, I think he that's that sounds low. To me for augustine but i have no idea what the market there is and then shabazz napier guy i've always liked um, out of the wizards projected for the minimum but um he might get that to be honest with you but i think i would love that as the hawk so there you go on that again these are just projections and i wouldn't make too much of them but bobby does people around the league and with the uh sudden wave of transactions that might be happening in the near future given the fact that the season's going to be very very short in timeline um just worth noting and filing this away um espn insider piece from bobby there so yeah, if you have questions, please let, please let me know. I'm sure there'll be lots of hypotheticals and stuff that I'll be asked about, but I think in general these ranges are not absurd and they're probably a good guidepost if you want to just go flying blind into the off Okay, before we get to Brian and our discussion about Onyeka Konglu, a word from our sponsors on today's podcast and the first of which is rockauto.com. Chain stores often have different price tiers for pro mechanics to do-it-yourselfers, but at RockAuto.com, prices are the same for everyone, and they're always low. Instead of the market-changing prices, RockAuto.com simply presents the lowest prices possible at all times. No matter what kind of car or truck you might have, RockAuto.com has everything you need, just a few easy clicks, and they'll have it delivered directly to your door. And the rockauto.com catalog is also easy to navigate. You can quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brands, the specs, and the prices that you prefer. rockauto.com is for everybody and does not require membership or an account login of any kind. And best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always low and the same for pros and do-it-yourselfers. So why spend more for the same exact parts? Go to rockauto.com right now, see all the parts available for your car or your truck, and from there, right, locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you to them. Amazing selection, reliable prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Rockauto.com. Brian, thanks again for joining me to talk about some of the top draft prospects in this class. And uh, our mission on this particular one is going to be on Yekka Kongwu, a guy who the Hawks were, I would say, linked to a lot more before Clint Capella arrived, but still someone who has often projected them. I've seen them mocked. Uh, to select him a few different times so uh, still definitely in this range and a guy I know that I like and I'm wondering how you feel about him broadly so let's we'll just start there like how do you feel about a Kong Wu sort of as a broad prospect in this class
1: uh I mean he's my favorite big he I had him I've had him as high as two uh I think he's down to five now he's in he's in that second group of guys because I'm, I'm not a big fan of him in general like I just really like him but um, I do think there are worries about him as like a high end guy. Like the Bam comp is is good in a lot of ways, but he's not as big, and he's not going to be. Like, even Bam has problems with size. So um, who was the other comp? There was another comp I remember. It was, uh, he has a little bit of hair roll in it, but he's he's better at defense. I don't know. Akongu is kind of a weird player because he statistically he's one of the best freshman bigs of the last fifteen years, and he really like carried like. That USC team did not give him the ball, but he carried them defensively uh, to like an extreme amount. And he was a great player, but he also is 6'9", 240, 7'2", wingspan. So he's not like a—I don't know if he's like a high-end big man prospect, but he is extremely productive. And he's the kind of guy you want. Like we were talking about Wiseman, how he has almost the exact opposite skills for like the same type for like the same archetype of like rim runner. Where he's like an elite rim, like he gets off the ground like uh, at a ridiculous speed. He has huge legs. He's really coordinated around the rim. He has no problems like getting up and finishing over people and finishing through people. And he's really lithe around the basket. He's got great timing and he's got great hips. Like he gets really low and can get. He's he's interesting because he gets you can attack him off of either side and he's just as quick, which is sort of that's sort of Bam's specialty. I think that's where the comp comes from, is that defensive versatility. But yeah, I mean he's got great touch, like with a little I know I know I crossing against running post ups with a guy like Wiseman, but like you still need to be able to run him a little. He's got great touch with either hand, way out to like eight, nine feet, like easy little turn little hooks. So he's gonna punish mismatch. Like I think I think he could be a guy who you can still play. Kind of like t- Daniel Tice a little bit, where Daniel Tice can play against smaller bigs better than he can bigger, like actual centers. So when, it, like, the Heat would run, like, that that lineup that has, like, Jay Crowder at the center, Okongwu would would punish that bad. He would destroy that matchup. Like, if you just got him in the pick and roll and, and gave him the ball at the rim. Yeah, I think
0: that Okongwu is such an interesting prospect because, number one, we just talked about this this before, but this is not a guy that a lot of casual people have seen. You know, he played he he, he played in the major conference, but the Pac-12 is not um, a prominent college basketball powerhouse at the moment in the way that it's consumed by many people. And also, he's yeah. you know, not not a greatest team in the world, so it's a lot of secondhand information. And you know, he's a smaller guy for sure, which I think is worth some of the um, sort of traditional. Um, I won't say worry, but concern potentially about Okamu is, is that, as a uh, especially as, as a full time center is that he's not huge. What's he listed? It's like six nine officially, something like that?
1: He, I've, I've heard him say he's six ten, so I think he's probably between there. But he's only like two forty. He's built well, like he's a strong guy. But he, he's not. He's not gonna like. Whereas Wiseman can walk on the court and wow people. I think I think Okamu kind of looks like a normal guy a lot in a lot of ways. I think Even facially, he just kind of yeah. looks like a normal guy.
0: And honestly, I think in addition to what you said about the sort of the defensive versatility, I think that's the other thing about the Bam comparison that is not the worst comparison in the world. It's just a little bit lofty, but part of that is the fact that he, Bam is not famously not huge in terms of just traditional yeah. center size, and that's, that's where it I think naturally comes from. But Kongwu, I've said this. I wonder if you agree with me. I think Kongwu is one of the highest floor prospects in this class. Yes. I, I, I can't imagine. Okay, I shouldn't say that it'd be hard for me to picture him just completely failing. Like certainly there's a world in which he's not awesome, but I think with his motor, his versatility, the way that he defends, the way that he can finish, I don't really see him being bad. Does that sound about right?
1: Yeah. Like I I said, Daniel Tice is the guy or like um, Rashawn Holmes. It's like, these guys are good. Like they're, they're good. They're NBA, good NBA players. And, like, yeah, I don't think they – there's no way he's, like, worse than that to me. Like, he's just too he's, – he's too skilled. He's good with both hands at blocking shots and getting re, and rebounding and hitting floaters. He has steal percentage way over two, which is a pretty good marker for NBA success. Uh, he, I mean, he uh, – lots of dunks. Like, dunks are an important – like, people don't think about that very often, but, like, dunking and stealing are, like, the two most dominant things you can do, I feel like, to lower-level competition of just, like – I think anyone can hit pull-up threes, and I don't want to say, you know, I don't want to devalue that skill, but I wouldn't draft a guy solely on pull-up threes if that's all he was good at. Unless he was like, like Marcus Howard might get drafted. He's one of the best pull-up shooters in the history of college basketball. That still might get him drafted.
0: That's all he can do. Literally, pretty much all he can do at the NBA level is that.
1: But it's like, um, how many dunks do you think CJ McCollum had his his junior year?
0: Oh Lord, I have no idea.
1: Nineteen. That's more, that's more than I.
0: That's more than I would have guessed. Yeah.
1: That's a lot of like, he was dunking a lot. He was getting like three and a half steal percentage. Like, he was dominating. And like, so, you know, a lot of like, if you, cause if you dunk, that's that's the easiest bucket imaginable. If you're just getting easy buckets all the time, you're dominating. That's what, you know, I think, I feel like people will, um, will go too far into the Jamar DeRozan school of like a guy who hits really tough shots means that means he's good. And that's important. Like, Jamal Murray proved that in the playoffs. But like, if you want a building block guy, I think you need, that's part of the reason I was low on RJ Barrett. It's like, he doesn't get easy baskets really. Whereas Zion was made in a lab to get easy. But like, all, even in the NBA, all his most of his buckets were easy. He just didn't get the, had, had the versatility, but like a is like, he, he, if you dump him the ball off and he's not immediately covered, he will dunk so 58 dunks in, in what? Like 29 games, 30 games, like shot 72% at the rim. He shot 72% from the line. That's the interesting combination. Like the, the, the flashes are there and the the dominance was there. Like he was the only real question and the real reason the BAM comp doesn't really work is um, you can't really predict that he's gonna like develop the same way as BAM.
0: Yeah. So let's let's go there now. I wanna sort of get into where his upside might lie. One place that people have talked about is his shooting. You mentioned his touch earlier. Do you buy him as someone who's gonna be able to shoot corner threes eventually? Like what do you sort of I project buy- about that?
1: I buy basically any NBA player that will be able to shoot standstills. Like, almost any NBA player can do it. I mean, look at Brooke Lopez. I don't think 10 years ago you would have said, yeah, Brooke Lopez will be an elite three-point shooter. Oh, but definitely not. <laughs> you just stand in it. I think you can teach almost anybody, just with enough repetition, to stand in a spot and shoot a three. It doesn't mean he'll be good at it. But, yeah, I think he'll, he'll take some. I don't know why he – I mean, unless, he's, unless he gets Wendell Carter and just told not to.
0: Right. Well, that's, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's what, that's a famously. That depends uh, really... entirely
1: on, on whatever coach he, you know, whoever he plays for.
0: Yeah. And coaching obviously matters. And that's something that he can add. It's not the most important thing in the world. But, you know, we got to, not, not to go back to the BAM comp again, but BAM is also like this elite short, short roll passer, all this stuff that you can't project a Congo to do. But what, what's sort of a high end offensive, we'll, we'll go, we'll go to defense in a second. What, what's sort of a high end offensive
1: outcome look like for mm-hmm. a Congo in your mind? It's still, be- It'd still be less than Bam because he's not that he, – I don't think he's going to be that kind of faster. He had some nice short roll passes, but Bam – he's not going to be bringing the ball up and, like, crossing people over and doing dumb offs right. like Bam does. So he's a little bit – I think he's a little bit smaller than Bam is now. He'll have fin- – he'll have – like, he's going to have to be a play finisher and, like, a, a garbage man and, like, a roll man. But you can give him the ball – I mean, you can face up and rip past people, but that's that's pretty basic center stuff. Most centers can do that. Um – so yeah, like higher, higher than like the than like Tice, who I was saying because Tice is just a cleanup guy. Like Montrez hero on
0: offense, something like that.
1: Well, I mean Montrez is like the elite version of that. Yeah. Of the garbage man. And like Derek Favors, like when Derek Favors was healthy, Derek fire. Favors.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah he, healthy he younger Derek Favors. Up.
1: He could face up and shoot. He could he could put the ball on the floor for like two or three dribbles, and get past people. That's probably about where he'd be, I think, offensively. Yeah, I can. I can
0: see that. I think. I mean, and I, think, gonna... I think
1: he's he's one of the highest likelihood to hit his ceiling. I feel like he probably will.
0: Yeah, that, I kind of agree, and that's one of the things about him. Like, you don't want to tag him with the safe word. People people kind of shy away from that, but I do feel like he is pretty safe. I do like his defensive potential more in terms of upside. Um, I want to ask you what that looks like too, because you know if he's someone who can be on the court late in a playoff game defensively and not hurt you at all. That's a huge thing for his, for his projection. Is he going to be someone who you think is like capable of being a dominant defender or is it more of a situation where he's just like good at everything and you, you don't have to worry about him?
1: Yeah, more like that. Um, yeah, I would say he's one of the two bigs in this draft, maybe three who I'm pretty sure will be able to stay on the floor and in most playoff situations. Uh, the other one is one of them is dependent entirely upon health, and the other one is Xavier Tillman because Xavier Tillman will.
0: And the other the other one is Tilly then, obviously for the health concerns yes, that what, Yeah, yeah, I mean, that was coming. Yeah,
1: but uh, you you can't remove Xavier Tillman from the court; he removes you from the court. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I almost wanted to do a,
0: uh, a, a Xavier Tillman podcast with you, even though even though we're, we're talking about the uh, a team with the number with a number six overall pick. Uh, he's just a lot of fun. I know you love him too. So he's a better
1: basketball player than James Wiseman right now, and probably for the next five years. Um, but no, uh, yeah, I, I, I feel pretty confident in Okonwu being usable in pretty much any scenario. I mean, I, I guess if you, if his shooting doesn't come along at all and he's just a black hole, there'll be some teams you can't play him against. But that, that's true of every center in the NBA who isn't like Embiid or Jokic or, or Anthony Davis or Giannis. Like every big man in the NBA has that problem. Rudy, Rudy Gobert has had that problem on, on occasion. But I don't know if you draft entirely for – like it's a thing. Having those, like, role-player playoff guys is great, but I wouldn't draft a guy solely because he's going to be a role-player in the playoffs. I draft a guy because I'm going to be able to play him 25 minutes a night, and that's that's what a Yaka is for sure. So somebody asked me
0: this question I wanted to ask you, and actually, I actually fouled it away just for that purpose. Um, it's not necessarily a comp about the player versus the player because they're not exactly the same, but somebody asked me if, like, a reasonable, like, projection in terms of impact is Clint Capella for Anya Kengwu? Given that he's on the yeah. Hawks, given, given he's he's on the Hawks roster, and I was I had the same reaction as you. Like that's kind of weird, but I can also see why they asked me. And it was like, you know, Capella was like a you know is like a top sixty seventy player in the league, a legitimate like above average starting center, a really good player that can play a lot of situations. Like I, I'm not I'm not like comparing them in terms of their games necessarily. There's some crossover there, but like, can you see that as like a reasonable
1: overall impact? I guess I think he's smaller and like faster than uh, capella did. Faster. that was that was the thing <laughs> but i mean like faster like at, like the, the image i always have of a Congo is him like coiling his body like a snake and kind of exploding laterally yeah people and Capella doesn't really do that he's just more like up down like get to the top of the paint to the bottom of the paint in an instant yeah and he, I mean, he can move laterally pretty well but he's not like that's not how i think of him that's what you, you think of bam for that and you think of like like Marcus Smart. <laughs> Those are like the guys who because Marcus Smart will cover 30 feet in like a second laterally. He's a freak. And, uh, <clears throat> I think, I think Anyaka's more like that. Like, I just think the way he's, he's got, he's very nimble. He has like great one foot balance, two foot balance. He changes direction on his heels sometimes, which is hard to do. You're not supposed to do that. Like, it's bad for your feet, but he can do it. He's just a, uh, He's a great example of lower body athleticism and people not really understanding what that is. Cause like he's like, he's you know, he's built pretty well, but he doesn't look like, he like, uh, like that photo of Paul Abuwa or that the photo of James Wiseman, or it's like, yeah, he looks like, or like Tyson Chandler. Oh yeah. <laughs> but like, but like lower body athleticism is, I think arguably more important for basketball, considering you're jumping all the time. How often are you really using your opera, your, your arms, like, much less than your legs than in the sport, to play defense at least. Yeah, and that makes sense. Okong-woo is, Okong-woo is like, his lower body is. I think if you were doing one of those stupid Instagram things where it was like, combine it, make the perfect rim protector, I would probably choose his lower body of like his legs and his feet and his ability to power through just like any, pretty much at any angle. He covers ground freakishly. That's his best attribute.
0: Yeah, I think that's the reason why I like him so much, too, at least one of the big reasons is that he's just so flexible. And then defensively, that's going to work out so well for him, especially at the end of the playoffs or you know, closing situations where he can really switch and do lots of different things defensively in a way that is uh, is malleable and good. I mean, the last thing I want to make sure that I ask you before we move on is, you know, the Hawks have this number six pick. Um, it's been, I think, kind of divisive as to where they they should even consider someone like a Kongwu because of what they already have with Capella and Collins. Um, yeah, what, what's your thought on like whether they even consider him or should consider him there?
1: I think I would like him more than either of those players if if you were like giving me a blank slate and who do I want to start my team with, but not so much that I would pass up drafting like someone like a wing over him if I had Collins. And Capella, I think – because Capella's what, 26, 25? He's 26 and also three years left
0: on his contract. Like making – not not overpaid, but making a lot of
1: money. So, like, I I don't know if the the potential for the upgrade is marginal enough that I probably wouldn't worry about it this year. Although, I mean, I wouldn't be mad. I I wouldn't be angry if they took – he's a good basketball player. He's going to be a good NBA player. So, I wouldn't be mad about that. But it it does feel a little bit – a little bit like you're – like. Be poor team building, I think, because I don't think he's a ceiling raiser. Now I don't know if anyone they get at six will be that, but I don't think he he fits. He'd play great with Trey, but he 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 wouldn't play better enough than Collins or Capella do to really justify that. I don't think. Yeah, I mean, it it's, really it's basically
0: sense. it's basically a best player <laughs> available pick if they if they were to do it, it'd be just because they think he's the best player clearly that's available, which, which I, I would agree with
1: at six. If he was at six, I I would definitely agree with that. Unless, yeah, I mean, I'd he
0: certainly might be. That. There's a couple of guys that I would consider that we'll touch on at some point in this uh, in this series, but yeah, there's definitely a way where he is clearly my number one guy left at six. But it's interesting because there's this school of thought I think because of how not tall he is that he might be able to play some four
1: I think he's a five I mean do you do you he's think a he might no, he's, four and I mean in the sense that he's not going to get killed defensively but I think he would just you better are you playing with Carl Towns are you playing I, I, was, with, I, like, I was
0: literally about to ask you like the only way that I could see him playing the four on a regular basis if you had someone like someone like Cat at center
1: but that I also works. don't think I also feel like playing a guy who's main defensive strength is covering the paint and blocking shots at the four is like well are you playing the 1996 Rockets? Like, what are you doing?
0: <laughs> I do think that uh, honestly, if uh, and this is I'm sorry, the 1994 Rockets. I was thinking the <laughs> other story. No, it's okay. I, I think that um, dating back to before February, um, and before Capella was on the roster, I think that he and Collins would be a lot of fun. I think a Conor yeah, and Collins yeah. would be would be fun together. It's just that, um, and this is not anybody's fault. I mean, I think Travis Slate made out went out and uh, made a very solid value trade to add a really good player in Capella. Um, so, but that kind of just took the centers not off the table, but I think it would have to be a situation where, again, you were Schlenk viewed a Kongwu as like in, in his own tier, basically, of guys left to, to justify. Action. Yeah.
1: And he's also, even though I think he'd be he's a better player than some of the guys who would be behind him, those some of those other guys would have more trade value than him.
0: I mean, especially because like the, the fact half. that he wouldn't play a lot. I mean, yeah, not, not that any rookie should play a lot, but he's one, one of one of the things in his favor, honestly, is that he's fairly NBA ready and could be able to play a little bit early on, but the Hawks just don't have minutes for him. No. So, uh, I don't know. I, I could see, I yeah. can see all sides. If, if they, if they, if they, if they took him at six, I would not come on the podcast the next day and kill them. I would understand it entirely, but if they, if they didn't, I also won't think it's bad. That makes sense.
1: I don't think it would make them that much better next year. Now that might not be the
0: plan. It should. I mean, that I, shouldn't be the plan. I mean, they're trying to be better anyway. But you, no one that no one they pick is going to make them better next year. Basically, I mean, no. it's a bunch of rookies in a not great draft. No one. He actually, I think, is the maybe the safest bet on the entire board to be a pretty good player as a rookie. But that doesn't really. Why that's not what I would be choosing for. Obviously, no. All right, this is Brad coming to you in post production to wrap up this podcast. Please subscribe to the show. Please follow Brian over at Cosmos on Twitter, also on Patreon. Follow me if you'd like to at BT Rolling on Twitter. Follow the show at Locked on Hawks. Please leave five-star feedback, tell your friends, subscribe, and we'll see you next time.